I don't like political jokes. I've seen too many of them get elected. We're going to talk about politics today, especially partisan politics. You know, it seems like today everything's so polarized, everyone's so extreme, everyone's opinions are the most uh, extreme version of the possible uh, position on the issue to the extent where it's ev it becomes impossible for there to be any compromise or even any real intelligent discourse about issues because it's all about us and them. It's about teams. And it becomes almost as if it's not the issues that we're discussing, but uh, you know the letter R or the letter D, as it were. So we can always find guidance for everything in every time and every place in the Holy Torah. So let's look in this week's Pasha, Pasha's Pinchas. And uh, there's a, an episode that occurs with the daughters of Tzlafchad, Benais Tzlafchad. By the way, do you know the name of the father of the Benais Tzlafchad? It's not a trick question. Tzlafchad. And if you remember Tzlafchad, um, this is germane to uh, the discussion here, but uh, from a few weeks ago, he was the, some say, Rabbi Akiva says, he was the Mekoshish Eitzim. Remember the wood gatherer that they found uh, gathering wood on Shabbos? After the, the Maraglim, after the spies, someone went out and they gathered wood on Shabbos and they were executed for it. That was, that was Tzlavcha. At any rate, so um, this week's Parsha, the Beneis Tzlavcha, there were uh, five of them. They come to Moshe with an issue. We have just been introduced to the laws of Nachalais, of inheritance. That means divvying up the territories of the land of Israel according to tribes. And it was done uh, based on population. And each tribe was given um, then land according to the, the numbers of adult males in the families of that tribe. Now, because of that, the family of Tzlafkod was going to miss out because he had already passed away and he only had daughters and the uh, dividing of the land wasn't based on daughters. So his bloodline would basically lose out an inheritance in the land. Okay, let's look here. So they come to uh, the Benes Tzlafkod, the, the five daughters of Tzlafkod. They come to Meish Rabbeinu and they say, Avinu Meis Bamidbar. Our father died in the desert. But he was not in the assembly that banded together against the Lord in Kairach's assembly. Remember the rebellion of Kairach that Kairach led. He attracted many followers and they all perished. So the Benvei Tzlovchad are mentioning, our father died, but in case you think he might have been, no, he wasn't part of that. Rather, ki meis, he died for his own sin. There was He sinned, but it wasn't that sin. He did a different sin. And like we said, according to Rabbi Akiva, he was the Makesh he was the wood gatherer. But he wasn't part of Kairach. And he didn't leave any sons. Hence the predicament, the legal uh, dilemma that we're having right now, the, the daughters of Tzlavchad are saying, and that's why we're coming to you, Moshe. And we're concerned. Why should our father's name be eliminated or diminished from among his family? Just because he has no sons. Uh, give us Give us 
a portion in the land among our uh, father's brothers. Okay, so that was their request. And what happens? Meisha Rabbeinu, okay? Meisha Rabbeinu, Meisha Kibbal Teirah Messinai. Meisha Rabbeinu received the entire Teirah from Hashem. And yes, there were mitzvahs that were given after Sinai, but now we're talking about the 40th year. This is right before entering the land. Meisha Rabbeinu, who has been given the entire Teirah, and it's now the 40th year in the wilderness, and Meisha has asked a question. And Meisha, what was he doing? Other than, you know, learning Teirah with Hashem and teaching it to the people, Meisha was a judge, right? Meisha listened to legal disputes. So Meisha, who is the quintessential Torah judge par excellence, he hears this question and he says, I got to call a friend. I, 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 I'm going to have to, I need to use my lifeline. I don't know. V'yakrev Meisha es mishpatan l'fnei Hashem. Meisha took their case to Hashem. V'yemer Hashem al Meisha le'emer, and then Hashem said to Meisha, Kain b'neis tzlafchad deivreis, they are correct. They, they have a good argument. Give them the land that they are asking for. Okay. So, here's what we're trying to understand. Meisha Rabbeinu didn't know how to rule in this case. He had to go, he, and, and he didn't even try. It's not like, you know, I've been deliberating on this for a while, I've been thinking, and I'm really, I'm stymied. I'm stumped, you know, stumped the rabbi, you stumped the rabbi. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my teacher, which Meisha's teacher is, is Hashem. Right? No, they ask him the question, immediately, i got to speak to Hashem. And, Hashem and, and, and then Hashem tells Meisha the ruling. So, we have to understand that why Meisha ran immediately to get clarity on the ruling from Hashem. In order to understand it, though, we have to understand something else. And that is manufactured unity. See, unity is a beautiful thing. Coming together, bonding, loyalty. Those are beautiful. And then there's something called artificial loyalty or manufactured unity. What's manufactured unity? In Hebrew, in the Holy Tongue, a, a bribe is called sheichad. As in the verse, Laisikach sheichad, do not take a bribe because sheichad, a bribe, blinds the eyes of the wise. You know, there was once a, a judge who went uh, deaf in his old age, and they asked him, why, do you, why did you go deaf? He says, well, I, it was from taking bribes. And they said, well, but the Torah says that taking bribes makes you go blind. Why did you go deaf? He says, because I heard a lot of promises. I never saw the money. At any rate, shayichad makes a person go blind, meaning blind from judgment. Obviously, it doesn't mean physically blind. It means it blinds us. It makes it impossible to make um, a wise ruling. And why is that? The Gemara explains, the Gemara Ksubis, that shayichad is a contraction of shehu chad, that he is one, that the briber and the bribee become one. In other words, once you take that money, you become subjective about that person. You become one with that person. And just like no one can be objective about themselves, right? Adam Karev Eitzel Atzmai, a person is his own relative, meaning a person is inescapably biased about 
his own his own self, uh, or, or or like we say, Kol nige adam raya adam raya atzmei. A person can see, meaning a coin can evaluate the negayim, the the, uh, the the afflictions of others, meaning to evaluate it. That's what the the context is. except for his own. And one of the interpretations of that Mishnah, homiletically, is a person can identify faults except for his own. We're, we're blind to our own faults, okay? And that's just because we are, we are ourselves, and we can't step away from ourselves. We lack, we lack that ob- objectivity. So we, we're biased. We're inescapably biased. The problem with the bribe is once you take the bribe from the person, it manufactures this affinity where now I can't be objective about the person I took the bribe from either. He becomes like me in the sense that just like I can't be objective about myself, now I can't be objective about the person I took a bribe from. Um, there's a story in the Gemara that uh, illustrates this, and it's actually also brought in the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam. We should mention also there's a Siyam Rambam coming up, f- both for those who are learning three Prakim a day and those who are learning one Perek, and also consequently uh, as well as for those who are learning the Sefer Mitzvahs every day. Um, so this story is from the Gemara, from Sanhedrin, and um, it's also brought in, uh, in, in the Rambam, that uh, there was a certain Tana, uh, Rabbi Shmuel but Rabbi Yesi. So Rabbi Shmuel owned uh, a tract of land, and he used to lease it out to a farmer. And the way that the farmer would pay rent is he would give a certain portion of the fruits to Rabbi Shmuel. And they had a schedule. Every Thursday, the farmer would come into town. He was a farmer, so he didn't live in town. He lived out in, in, in the farm area. Every Thursday, he would uh, come into town. I'm sorry. Every Friday, he would come into town and bring the fruits. And this particular time, he came in on a Thursday. Why did he come in on a Thursday? Because uh, the rabbinical courts generally operate on Mondays and Thursdays. So... The guy shows up, and he brings the basket of fruits, which he owed as rent to Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Ishmael says, you usually come on Friday. Why did you come a day early this week? He says, because I'm here for a court date. I have a court appearance. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm a litigant. So I figured, why well, make two trips? You know, I'm coming to town anyway for, the, for, for, for Besdin, for the court. I might as well bring you your, your fruits as well. So Rabbi Ishmael says to him, and now... I cannot be one of the judges on your case. Whatever your case is, you're going to have to find other judges. And he recused himself immediately, and he found other judges for the case. During the case, Rabbi Shmuel was listening, and he was following, and he found himself saying, ooh, he could have argued this, ooh, he could have argued that. And he's like rooting for him, like cheering for him, and hoping he wins, and thinking to himself what his strongest arguments would be to, to win the case. And as he's, I mean, he wasn't saying it out loud. He was just on the side watching and thinking these things to himself. And as he was thinking these things to himself, he stopped. And he says, wow, look how invested I am in this guy winning the case. He says, look, the, the bribe, quote-unquote bribe that he, that he offered me, belonged to me already. Okay, it's my, it's, it's the payment of rent for... That's due to me anyways. And if I would have taken it, I'd only be taking what's mine. And plus, all it was <laughs> that he was doing is bringing it a day earlier, which is totally intangible. There's no tangible benefit to that. And yet, 
And, and, and most of all, I didn't even take it. I didn't even accept it from him. And you see how warped my thinking has become in his favor. Now imagine a person who actually takes a bribe, and it's actually a real bribe, how impossible it is for him to have any objectivity. So that's shaychad shahu chad. It becomes inescapably subjective and incapable of objectivity and, 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 and being free of bias when it comes to this person. So once we cre- create this feeling of sides, we're on the same side, we're on the same team, that's it. Clear thinking goes right out the window. And that's what happens with partisanship. That's partisanship. Let's talk about politics today. How is it possible that your guy is always right and the other guy is always wrong? It's not possible. If you're actually looking at things based on issues, it's not possible that one party platform is 100% right and the other party platform is 100% wrong. It's not possible that one pundit is always right, he always nails it, and another pundit never gets it. It's not. But I want to tell you, because it's not really about issues, it's about sides. So it's like, you know, if you're a Yankees fan, let's say you go up to Fenway Park in Boston to watch the, the Yankees and the Red Sox, and the umpire makes a call against the Yankees. You will never see the New Yorkers who went up to, to, to go see the game, you would never see them say, oh, yeah, that, but that's a fair call. No, no, it's kill the ump, right? Because you made a call against my guys. That's my team. They're not looking at it like, you know, objective observers of the game of baseball. No, no, it's about my team winning. So a call that's bad for my team is bad. You can't, you can't even escape that thinking. And, and, and that's what partisan politics is. And that's what Misha wanted no part of. So here's what happened. The daughters of Tzlofchad, they come to Misha and they present the case. Everything was going fine, okay? Our father died. He didn't have any sons. But then they blew it. They mentioned, but our father was not part of Kairak's rebellion. And that's it, and it was over. And Mesha recused himself immediately. It was 39 years later. This is 39 years since Kairak's breakaway. And, and, and there was nothing practically that Mesha stood to lose or gain at this point from anything that had to do with that old... Machlaikis, which is already buried and done. The Kedach thing was over. Settled for decades. And yet, the mere mention of it, the mere mention, our father died, but not he wasn't part of Kedach's group. That was it. Maisha said, and now I can't be part of this. I can't hear your case objectively. You know, you're coming in and you're saying, oh, by the way, our father you know, he wasn't part of that uprising against you and your brother. You know, that's called cronyism. Cronyism, right? Oh, where are Ah, okay. Take care of them. Make sure, yeah, yeah, let's make sure. Slavchut's daughter, take, take care of them good. Maisha was not going to have any part of that. He wanted to answer the question according to absolute truth. So even Maisha Rabbeinu, who is truth? Maisha Emes, Viserose Emes. Moshe said, that's it. Once you mention the partisan thing, I'm out. And he goes to Hashem to get objective truth. That's it. The, the, the lesson is, is abundantly clear for us. Which is that 
Sometimes our brains get pointed in a certain direction, and it doesn't matter how smart you are. In fact, the smarter you are, the worse it is, because once your brain is pointed in a certain direction, it's locked in, the smarter you are, then the further down that path you, you go, and the faster down that path you go. And, and being smart won't help you. I mean, who was smarter than Meshur Rabbeinu? That doesn't help, because once your, your brain is pointed in a certain direction, you, you can't get objectivity. It's, we call it confirmation bias. We just keep seeing more and more affirmation for the things that we, that we already believe. And therefore, we become more entrenched and more self-righteous and more indignant and more intolerant. And, and, and it becomes more and more impossible for us to ever hear an issue on, on objective merits. And by the way, I'm not just talking about partisanship, although I think that's a very easy example for us all to observe today with the polarized political scene, but also in personal relationships. We just get stuck with an us and them mentality. Whose side is winning, okay? And once there are sides, oh, he's on my side, he's not on my side, you're done, you can't be objective. That's sheichad, shehu chad. You're with me, you're not with me. It can't be that way. But there's a solution. There is a solution. What's the solution? How do we get objectivity? Our sages tell us, get yourself a teacher, a mentor, and depart from doubt. And sometimes your mentor, your guide, call it your spiritual life coach, they don't necessarily even have to be smarter than you or know things that you don't know. All they have to really have is the one thing that you'll never have, objectivity about yourself. They are not you, so they can guide you about you in a way that you can never do it. You know, I once heard from a sober alcoholic, a guy who'd been sober for about 20, 30 years, an old timer, and uh, he says, you know, when people come here, they have alcoholism, but then eventually they stop drinking, so then you don't have the alcohol anymore. You take the alcohol out of the alcoholism, you're still left with the ism. What's the ism? I sponsor myself. <laughs> I sponsor myself. You're supposed to have a sponsor, you know, a Selah Karav. You're supposed to have a mentor, right? Somebody who's not you and can be objective about you. But if you don't have that, then you're just in that feedback loop. You're just in the echo chamber. You keep reinforcing the confirmation bias. And you nev never get out of biased thinking. But if you have a sponsor, meaning you have somebody else to check in with, to keep you real, because they're not you and they can be objective about you, now you're free from that. So Meisha was able to go to Hashem. Each one of us according to our sages, can go to a Torah teacher, a guide, a rabbi, a, a teacher, somebody you trust, somebody who, who, who knows you, and most importantly, is not you, and get guidance, and be able to get some clear, objective direction in life. Seil Kharav, very, very, very important tool. Even Moshe, even Moshe knew when he needed objectivity, and all of us would do well to seek out that objectivity.